Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This is the Miller Report with Suzanne Miller on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And now, here's Suzanne Miller. Welcome to the Miller Report. I'm Suzanne Miller, founder of Empire State Properties. Today, we have a really special guest. I mean, somebody for me, being in the business for so many years, this guy has been my go-to, like really, my go-to guy when I have any questions about the commercial real estate market. And today, with what's going on in this whole world, particularly in New York with the pandemic, I'm so proud and so honored that he's here to join us. One of the top producing brokers, representing corporate tenants. He is the executive vice chairman of Cushman and Wakefield. Hey guys, can we get a better pedigree than that? Today we have Dale Schlather. Welcome to the Miller Report. Hi, Dale. Hey, Suzanne. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It's my first podcast, so what better than to do it with you? Oh, thank you, Dale. Well, I really appreciate all the help you've given me over the years telling me what's going on in the commercial market. And today we have so many questions. The world is in such flux right now. And just could you just Give us a background. What is the current state of the commercial real estate market in this city and other major cities? That's a big question. I uh, don't know that we have enough time to answer that completely. But what's happening? Let's talk about New York just for a minute since we're sitting here good uh, start. in New York. The New York market has, you know, the vacancy is about 20 percent, 21 percent, which is historically quite high in the office sector. Office obviously has gotten hurt more and you know better than I than the residential market. COVID came and all of a sudden people didn't come to the office for a year and a half and they've slowly been coming back to the office. But it's really hurt the B and C quality buildings. The trophy and A quality buildings have done well. And the reason is that corporate America has figured out that they need to create space that their employees want to come back to as opposed to have to come back to. And so what they're doing is, for example, one Vanderbilt. One Vanderbilt has been a huge success in almost all of Hudson Yards because they have all these great amenity spaces and views and it's so special. And the rents at, at one Vanderbilt are over $200 a foot and they're still going up. They just closed a deal in a sublease just a week ago at $225 a foot wow. up on a relatively higher floor. So Hudson Yards and also Manhattan West and the related properties at Hudson Yards have done well. Tishman Spire at the Spiral is doing great. And there are a bunch of new developments that are going to be coming along that are all going to do very well. And the rents are at record levels for New York. So there's that part of the story. But then, you know, we're sitting here on Third Avenue, Third Avenue and the B and C quality buildings, the tenants are tending to move away from those. So they're having trouble. So it's it's a bit of a perfect storm problem. And this is true really across the country, except maybe in 10 in Nashville and, and in Austin, Texas, and some parts of Florida, like West Palm Beach, where companies are moving to those locations. You know, the San Francisco, LA, Seattle, Chicago's, those markets are getting hurt because people are moving away and the companies that are there, and there's some political issues, I don't want to get into that, but, you know, crime is a big issue in the big cities. And so people are scared of that. And so it has hurt the B and C quality buildings because, again, companies are moving to better quality with 
amenities to get their people to come to the office. And what companies have learned through the whole COVID thing is the cost of office space, which used to be about five or six percent of the total expenses of the company compared to the cost of employees, which is like 60%, 65%. So they realized if we spend a little bit more money, right, it's still on the margin, not that much compared to what it costs for turnover of people and getting them to come to the office and create culture and build loyalty to their to the company, which is critically important, and training young people. That's the biggest issue, I think, of all. So what you're really saying is that the tenants could really pick the better buildings and they'll pay for quality. And those quality buildings are doing better than the other buildings. But what's going to happen with the bank failures and with these any buildings? How will there be any new developments if the banks are failing? Well, it, banks aren't failing. And, you know, certainly the big banks aren't failing. You know, Credit Suisse got in trouble, but that's a whole separate issue that has nothing to do with this topic. But the smaller banks have exposure and commercial real estate is a problem for that. And I liken it to what happened in the late 80s and early 90s when we had the savings and loan crisis. It's starting to feel a little bit like that because it's a bit of a perfect storm for the commercial office market in particular. You had COVID, which dropped down, and we're going to talk about vacancy versus occupancy, mm -hmm. but it dropped down the occupancy levels almost to zero. So the retail and the, the restaurants and all that got crushed. And so you had that. And then at the same time, now we've had inflation. You've got the Fed tightening. So interest rates are going up. So what's happening is that the office market, vacancy is higher, rents in the B and C quality buildings are going down. And at the same time, so their net operating income mm -hmm. is going down. A lot of these leases haven't turned yet, but they're going to. And as they turn and they can't refill the buildings, that's going to become a problem for those buildings in terms of vacancy. And so therefore affecting their operating income. And at the same time, they've got debt that's rolling over. It's not like when we go out and get a 30-year loan on our house. I know you spend a lot of time in residential. It's not a 30-year loan. Most loans in the commercial market are 10 years. And so as they start to turn, they were at very low rates. So think about if you had an adjustable. So they'll return the keys, Dale. I've been reading that this good guy clause, they yeah. could just return the keys and then the banks have to absorb it. And that's going to be a perfect storm. It's a perfect storm. And the, the thing is, the banks don't want to own it. So what they're going to do is they're going to work with the current owners as long as they were good people. They're not going to bring it back in there because what are the banks going to do with it? And there's no market right now. There is no market to sell. Unless, no you, market. unless you can do a conversion to residential, there is no market to sell, particularly in New York. But, you know, in some markets, that's not the case. Like if you're in, like I said, Austin or Nashville or maybe in West Palm Beach or Miami, that's a little different story. But if you're talking about L.A., San Francisco, Seattle, Chicago and New York, the office market in particular is upside down. And so, you know, cap rates have gone from in New York, we used to have three to three and a half percent, four percent cap rates. And. So now they're at six and a half, seven, if you could find someone to buy and there's no real market. You know, there was a sale at One Liberty the other day. Brookfield bought out their partner, Blackstone. I don't know the exact details, but I heard it was something like 500 a foot a year ago would have been or two years ago would have been $850 wow. a foot or more. So the market has adjusted greatly. That said, if you have a trophy asset, it's a different world. But interest rates, interest rates and inflation are both, you know, key because interest rates go up, the values come down. It's just that simple. So what you're saying is that the banks will negotiate with the existing tenants to keep them at pretty much at steep discounts. No, they're going to negotiate with the existing landlord well, to continue yes, managing the property. And yes, they're going to try to to keep the tenants, but what's going to happen is rents are going to be going down. Mhm. Mm 
right? Expenses and taxes are going up. I mean, it is the perfect storm. But at the same time, the banks, what are they going to do with it? There's no market to sell it or flip it. So they're going to try to work with the existing owner and they're going to restructure the debt and give them some runway to try to build their way out of the thing. But the existing owners aren't going to throw good money after bad. So if they're underwater, they're not going to fund additional equity to try to save it. So the banks are going to have to deal with it and write down the loan and work with the owner, to try to restructure it or try to sell it. Or they may sell some of their loans, but I don't know who's buying them. Oh, boy. goodness, Dale. This is we've seen this before, though. And I, I am interested because you said earlier you say you think it's 20 percent. But what I'm reading says that the occupancy for offices is more like 50 percent. And some people even say it's 70. Well, Let's define what we're talking about. What you're referring to is the people that are actually coming, the workers coming to the office each day. And, you know, that's measured by, you know, by the card swipes. It's a company called Castle that has kind of the vast majority of that. So when you walk in, when I go into my office every morning, I go through and I have, there's a system that I go through. And so they know that I've been in the office that day. And and that's when you're talking about 50% and it was 20%. Mm-hmm. That's what you're referring to as the people that are actually coming to the office. And on Monday and Friday, it's probably 25%. And on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, it's 50 plus. In New York, those numbers are a little bit misleading because companies like J.P. Morgan Chase and Goldman Sachs and Citibank, the big banks, big users, they have their own card key system or they don't share. They may use the Castle system, but they don't share their data. So the data is not really you know, complete. So it, it tends to be understated. So the actual lock, and you can see it walking around the city. I do see it. I mean, you can feel Everybody it. Everybody feels it. Yeah. You, you know, before you have to, you know, you want to go and you go to Just Salad. And now you got to wait in line. Whereas a year ago, you weren't waiting in line. And a lot of those places have closed down. It's probably good business to get into as people come back because people will come back. The vacancy rate that I was talking about has to do with what's leased. So what tenants are actually paying versus paying. And they may or may not be occupying them fully, but they're still paying the rent. And that's 20 percent you know, 21%, something like that. And it depends on where it gets a little higher downtown, a little less in Midtown South. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you think that people coming back to work, as a lot of the corporations are now doing, is going to save us? Well, I think that this is the hard story. You know, we've never been through COVID before in Mm -hmm. a a world where we, you know, where we work in a very dense office environment. And companies, you know, we, we talk in my business and, you know, I represent tenants. That's what I do. And so we talk about the square footage per person. And when I started in the business, and by the way, square footage in New York changes. So that's we need two hours to explain that. But the square footage. Tell us when you started, Dale. Well, I started in commercial in 1986. I was in the syndication business before that until the 1986 tax act came and wiped that out. And actually that created the savings and loan crisis, which is was stay alive till 95. And that's kind of what it feels like where we are now. So you're like the Um, veteran. So tell us, is going back to work going to help us? So what I'm seeing is, you know, we went from 250, 300 feet per person down to about 150 feet per person. And I'm talking rentable square footage now. And so it was all about densification. 
and they, you know, their six foot cubicle desks became five foot cubicle desks. Mm -hmm. Well, then COVID came. Now that's reversing itself completely because people understand that they can't work that way in a COVID environment. So I do believe that we're never going back to pre-COVID levels and the way that we worked pre-COVID. But the problem is, and what hasn't really been realized yet, is that the Jamie Dimons of the world, you know, the people like that, that understand even Facebook and, you know, Meta and Amazon and Google, they all realize that they need to get people back to the office because young people, when you come out of college, you don't know anything about anything, really. I mean, you may not be a big, good engineer, but you don't know anything about the culture of the company. And you learn so much when you're in the office working. And so I just saw something last night talking about productivity levels and productivity in the United States dropped 21% last year, 21% in the last wow. year. And it's very, very hard to measure productivity. But companies are starting to realize that's happening. And the reason it's happening is because now we're three years out of COVID, we're two years out of the real lockdown, and it's starting to show up that the culture of the company and training and you know, that the young people learning and creating loyalty. So, and as we, you, you hear about the recession and you're seeing, you know, you're seeing layoffs at Facebook and Amazon and Google. And so all of a sudden now they're starting to lay people off and now people are coming into the office more often because oh. they know they better get to know their boss a little oh, bit yeah. better. And so it's going to come back. It's never going to be the same. It's always going to be, you know, we have the ability with technology to work remotely. You know, I've been doing it, you know, where I can, I can't do a space tour from, you know, my house in Sag Harbor, but I can do a lot of other things from my desk out there on a Friday afternoon rather than fight a four-hour ride out there, which I know you've experienced many times before. So you're not thinking that's going to really reverse it, but it will help. It's going to help. And the thing is that if people come in on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and some of my clients are mandating that now, I mm -hmm. ha have a law firm client, they, they work three days a week. Now they're going to go to four days a week for the associates. I'm hearing it from, you know, banking client of mine. They are now, they're not quite mandatory, but they want them back four days a week. It was three days and it wasn't mandatory. It's coming. It's coming, but it's not going to happen all at once. But the thing is that if you have people coming Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and everybody comes Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you need the same amount of space as you would if people weren't coming because they're not coming on Monday and Friday, but it doesn't matter. You still need all of that space for Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Well, I hope that happens. So I think what's happening is people need more space because they're not as dense as they were before. They realize that that's not a good idea either. Now, that said, there are types of work for example, call centers. Call centers work really, really well from people working at home. Their commute is 10 seconds. They go into their mm -hmm. into their office and they get set up with the right technology and they can answer their phones and do, you know, so when you're booking tickets or you're talking to, you know, your credit card company or whatever, a lot of those people are working from their homes. They don't need to go to a place anymore and drive an hour and a half to get there. That works. But other companies, particularly anybody in sales, anybody that requires culture and working together, engineering, the technology companies, most of them, mm -hmm. they're in the office and they're going to, well, they're not in the office five days a week, but they're in Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. So a lot of people are talking, I've read it in the Business Journal recently, and there's a big talk on the street right now about repositioning these buildings in California and New York. Mm -hmm. And 
I'm, some of it comes to my mind that they want to make it residential. Let's talk about that a minute. Like, what do you think about that? So, you know, there's a lot of talk about that right here on Third Avenue and also downtown. Silverstein has put together a fund, I believe, to buy residential commercial buildings downtown, office buildings, and convert them to residential. And you are going to see that. There's no question wow. that that's going to happen because you know better than I, the residential market still remains tight um, in New York and will continue to, to be that way. And so if you can create, you know, repurpose these buildings and take what's, you know, basically extinct now, some of these office buildings just don't work anymore. But if you can convert them to residential now, you create operating income and create value. But there's an issues with space and views and politics. How are they going to get through that? Yeah, well, their politics of it is, you know, getting Permits. Um, the permits and changing basically the zoning to allow residential versus commercial. And then there's a lot of things even inside, you know, fire stuff and exiting. There's a lot of things that I don't really understand, to be honest. And 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 you have, you know, in office, you tend to have bigger floor plates, particularly at the base. And so, you know, core to glass depth and all of that ties into whether that works for a residential property or not. But I guess you could take those big floors and create big loft type spaces like they did in Soho many years ago, right? They repurposed all those. Those were like industrial buildings yeah, back in the day. All right? of Tribeca. Yeah. So, so I think you could see something like that. So you see that down the pipe. Absolutely. Well, that's good news. Yeah. So a lot of people are really down on New York right now. This just came to my mind after seeing you. I wasn't really going to ask you this, but mm -hmm. Because you are the expert, because I think that you really are in the know of the finest company and you're the top person. Tell me what you see about new deals and what's really going on in New York. Give us the inside scoop. So there's there's a lot going on. I mean, you know, Citadel, they didn't leave Chicago completely, but they left a lot of people out of Chicago. That was their headquarters. They're no longer there. They just signed a deal with a Vornado and Rudin for 350 Park and 40's 52nd Street over, I think it's 50, 50th and 51st Street, 51st and 52nd Street and Park Avenue. And they're going to tear those two buildings down and build 1.7 million square foot brand new building of which Citadel is going to occupy 870,000 feet of it. Great news. Yeah. So that's been out there. It's not been greatly publicized, but that's going forward. JP Morgan Chase, they've been you know building their new headquarters for quite some time. There are others that Where is I can't that? talk about that are out there. JP Morgan is right next door. It's right at Park Avenue at 270 Park Avenue. They tore down their old headquarters. It's basically a full city block between Madison and Park. And they've been building. They're not quite topped out yet, but they'll be moving in there in probably 2026, something so like that. So you still see action happening in New York? There's no question. And there will be more office towers built. You know, you've got 175 Park, which is the old Hyatt site over by one Vanderbilt. You've got two or three towers that could go, or four towers over in Hudson Yards that can go up. Silverstein has... Two World Trade Center that I predict will probably go forward in the next few years, that there are a number of opportunities that are out there to build new office towers. And they will happen because it's that flight to quality that I talked about. Mm -hmm. Companies need to be in newer space. The older space just doesn't work for them. So you think this, there might be some opportunities for investors? You know, invest, you know, you're talking, I'm not a capital markets guy. I'm a tenant mm -hmm. guy. But, you know, I grew up in New York in the 60s and 70s. And it was pretty rough in New York back then. Mm -hmm. Everybody talks about how it was horrible and New York's going away. John <laughs> Lindsay was the mayor and that was the end. And somehow, magically, New York came back. And, you know, walking around Fifth Avenue when I'm in the city, 
a lot now, a lot more than I have been the last couple of years. And you can see it on the street. You see the tourism is back, you know, Rock Center's humming, Fifth Avenue, the stores. Retail is actually doing, you know, pretty well. I'm not a retail guy, but retail has done, you know, has recovered really nicely. We thought that Amazon was going to be the end of street retail. It's not. It's not. Retail is doing very well across the country, surprisingly so, better than the office market is. Don't you think that so, crime is affecting people to, to want to come well, here? Well, you know, again, I don't want to necessarily get into politics. I, you know, I think that there's no question that we need to feel safe. I take the subway all the time, but mm -hmm. I used to wear a suit and tie to work every single day, mm -hmm. and I still do on occasion, but I won't get on the subway in a suit and tie. I don't feel safe. But otherwise, I feel pretty good, but it is better. It's definitely getting better, mm -hmm. but that's how it falls apart, right? If we can't get the crime part under control mm -hmm. and get the subways and the you know public transit systems working properly and walking down the street, and a lot of this has to do with you know homeless and all that, that's certainly the biggest threat to New York. Short of that, New York's not going anywhere. New York is New York. I mean, it's just you know, the Googles and the Facebooks. There's a reason why... They've been growing here like crazy. And I talked, I'm you know, friendly with the people that run their real estate and they're not going anywhere. Okay. So Dale, this is really very insightful. So, I mean, with everything you've said about the good buildings, the A buildings, the B buildings, the C buildings, New York not going anywhere. How do you really think the next five years are going to be and how are we going to get through this? Next five years. Well, that's interesting. It, again, it reminds me back with the savings and loan crisis, and which started in kind of the late 80s. And in our business, we had a saying, it was called survive till 95. <laughs> and that was because from 1990 to 1995 was a very, very tough time for the commercial. And it wasn't just commercial, it was residential, multifamily residential as well. All the things that the savings and loans were lending on. It feels a little bit like that what happened now. then? Just remind, because a lot of people well, don't so, remember that. So the 1986 Tax Act came in and that got rid of the syndication business and the savings and loans had been making all these very high leverage loans, like right. 90, 100 percent to value. Mm -hmm. And so then when the syndications went upside down, they defaulted on those loans and all the properties went back to the savings and loans and that a lot of them went out of business because of it. And the government had to come in and help them. What year was that? That was... You know, 88 is when it kind of started, but in our business, it was starting in 1990. That's why I said five years. And it was in 1990, we were saying survive till 95. So that meant five years mm -hmm. and then things are going to be okay. But the next five years are going to be tough. But then after that, it'll be fine. And funny enough, I mean, we used to laugh about it in a kind of a way, but that's exactly what happened. And I moved back to New York in 1992. And in 1990, 92 to 95 were really tough to be a commercial real estate broker in New York or real estate across the country. And sure enough, 1995, things started to wake up and the, the market came back. The city came back. You know, the politics had changed quite a bit, although that, that was really separate from what was happening because it was the savings loan crisis that created that problem, just like COVID and the way we work is affecting the commercial office market now. So I think it's like that. I think it's going to take four or five years to figure all this stuff out, go through it, figure out how we're going to work, where we're going to work, how much we're going to work in the office. And then I think once we get all that figured out and we reposition some properties that we talked about into residential and other things, I think at that point that we'll be on the road to recovery. But New York's not going anywhere. It's oh, just not going Dale, anywhere. Dale, I love this. So you're really saying, hold tight, put your seatbelt on. We got five years and New York's not going anywhere and never bet against New York. And I'm in. Yep. Thank you, as Dale. As long as the politics don't destroy us, I'm hoping that they're going to be okay. 
today because I think that the politicians understand it. I think so. We're going to be just fine in New York. Thank you, Dale. Thank you again for coming on the show and you for doing all that you do. Thank you. Thanks. Dear listeners, thank you for coming on my podcast. If you like what you're listening to, please download, subscribe, and share. Thank you so much. Bye. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.